We'll be right back after this. I've actually been using today's sponsor for over three years and love them. And that company is Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear me say Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you might think, what's the catch? But the cool part is that there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They don't have retail stores or salespeople, which cost a lot of money. Instead, they deliver premium phone plans directly to you. Say goodbye to your multi-hundred dollar phone bill per month and start using Mint Mobile where plans start as low as 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash fyshow. That's mintmobile.com slash fyshow. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash fyshow. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Now back to the show. And I asked my manager, I just said, laid it out, you know, I'm, I'm doing A through Z and I, I wanted my salary to be looked at. And the response was, in quotes, now's not the time to ask. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But before we dig into today's guest, let me check in with the co-host, Justin. What's going on, birthday man? <laughs> Stole my thunder. Yeah, it was a little low-key. Uh, we just spent five days in Vail, four of which I was skiing. And Leslie only went skiing with me on one day, which meant I had three days to kind of go back in the back balls and go crazy. So I think she was just pumped that uh, I came back with no injuries. But we had some great kind of groomer days and a couple of fresh powder days. So it was uh, a great way to turn 31. Definitely. I'm a bit jealous of that. I also actually got a run in or a couple runs in at Jiminy Peak over in Western Mass, but the conditions were definitely not comparable. I was actually in my t-shirt on Saturday. It was 55 degrees. Some of the parts I was literally snowboarding through slush, but better than ice is what I say. There was a lot of ice in the mountains this year. So definitely jealous of Veil though. And happy birthday, Justin. And hopefully the listeners can send you a little birthday wish in the Facebook group, or maybe they can send in a voicemail. Who knows? We'll play some some birthday wishes on next week's episode. But that's enough about us, Justin. Let's take a quick moment for our sponsor. 2021 is here, and that marks a fresh start for all of us small business owners. So whether you're shifting business hours, hiring more remote employees, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. And to lend a helping hand, the first job post is actually free. And with over 700 million members worldwide, if you've ever been on the you know employer side of LinkedIn, there are just so many solid candidates for basically anything that you're looking to hire out. You can post a job with targeted screening questions to make sure you're getting the right people right off the bat. And LinkedIn will quickly get your role in front of the most qualified candidates. You can manage your job posts, contact candidates from one single view page. The platform is super easy to navigate. And you can actually do this all from your mobile device too. So when your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. And now you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash show. Again, that's linkedin.com slash show to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So on this week's episode, we welcome on Brent from the Food Truck CEO. This is a guy who started his career as an RN, a registered nurse, and 
after years and years of working in the business, he kind of slowly started to unfall in love with that job. And just a couple of years ago, he actually started a business where he is driving around in a wood-fired pizza truck as a food truck CEO. That's his handle on pretty much everywhere you can find him on social. And he's having a great time with it. He's crushing it. He has flexibility. Obviously, there is struggles. He is very diligent with this planning, but it's a really interesting business of someone who started this on the side while they're in a corporate role and now have transitioned it into a full-time fun side gig, or I guess main gig at this point. Yeah, I mean, now he's bringing in serious money with the business, and you can tell it really is a passion. And from because I hound Brent on the side uh, because I've been getting into making pizzas myself. I have a a pizza oven on the way. If you're curious, you can go Google what a uni pizza oven is. But I got one of those on the way. Should be here in a couple of weeks, and I'm very pumped about that. And because of that, I've been hitting up Brent for all these different, you know, how to work with the dough. Hey, this is happening. How can I fix this? And he's just so into helping people who also have this interest in pizza. He's also just a very like helpful person in general because I was asking him about his mixer because he talked about getting this new giant mixer and his old mixer he loaned out to a different baker until they could get on their feet. So this is just somebody who you can tell found their passion and that was the key. And it's almost like you would think that no matter what business he went into with this much passion that it was going to be successful. But the pizza business was a great choice because he was able to get in it with fairly low startup costs and it's also a food that has great margins. But that's enough from us. Stick around and listen to the episode from Brent himself. And if you want to look at any of the show notes and links that we have out there, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash Brent. That's thefyshow.com slash Brent. Everybody cares about money. Um, I didn't realize that you could accumulate it if you tried, though. So I would just work, get paid, and spend it was my, my life as a new nurse whenever I graduated from nursing school and moved down to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I would say I really started to care about money or realize that, you know, rich people aren't just born that way, that you can become wealthy if you care. Whenever we, I first got married and we started to, you know, our income started to grow, but our savings rate didn't. And, you know, I remember overdrawing our bank account just one time again. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So that was kind of like the moment whenever we were two nurses were making good money but we were saving almost nothing and it something had to change. And just to get like a holistic story of the person Brent, before we get too deep into this, what made you choose to go into nursing in the first place? Cause I'll, I'll be curious kind of how this ties into other ventures that you end up in. So I was actually at a slippery rock university in Western PA and I was going to school to be a phys ed teacher. That's what I was there for my first year. And I really wasn't, that drawn to it. My brother had done that. So I thought, well, it looks cool. He plays kickball for a living. That's kind of fun. And then just didn't really stick with me. And uh, my one uncle ended up getting pancreatic cancer and it ended up in his brain. And so I used to go and spend the night at my aunt's house so that she could sleep and I would watch him because at that point he started to kind of wander. He was very confused. He needed up and down a lot. And I'm not a small guy. I'm like 6'2 or 6'3, so I could handle him because he's a big guy. And taking care of him kind of drew me into nursing. I mean, it runs in my family. My mom's a nurse. My dad's a nurse. So I knew what it was, and that kind of pulled me in. All right. Let's fast forward to while you're in your nursing career. Like you mentioned that you and your wife, you are both nurses. And I actually just looked up. I don't know. Were you nurses in Philadelphia or in Ohio? So originally, I was a nurse in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And this would have been back in 2006, 2007. So the pay wasn't, I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't what it is right now. 
but we both were nurses around the Western PA Newcastle area. So when we first got married, we were both were making like 20 bucks an hour ish. Okay. Cause yeah, I was just looking up average RN salary and it was like, you know, 52 to 90 K per year. And I'm like, even if you're at the low end of that and you guys are making say 50 K a year each, I mean, a hundred K a year. And you said you weren't saving anything. So, you know, at that point, like, your mindset, did you think you were doing something wrong? Like, did you think you were taking all the right money steps? You're like, Oh yeah, I'm crushing it in my career. But you know, were you just kind of following the trends, doing what friends are doing or, you know, how did that mentally play out when you kind of made, had that aha moment? I really just didn't think about it. I mean, it was, I remember the thought process was we make X amount of dollars per month. If we get this payment, we'll have this much left over. We can afford it. So that was kind of how I thought about money. It wasn't really about accumulating it. It was about trying to figure out what I could buy with what was coming in. And that was just what was normal, I guess. You know, um, my parents aren't bad with money. You know, they had, they raised two kids and, you know, nurses didn't make a ton of money back then. So it wasn't really something that was taught to us about personal finance. So I think that, again, that aha moment was whenever we started accumulating our, you know, more and more money, we're getting promoted more and more, you know, we're making well over a hundred thousand dollars collectively and we're not saving anything. We're overdrawing our account, which is just insane. And I know you talked about kind of having an aha moment when you did have one of those withdrawals where, you know, you go to take out some money and it's not there. What were some of those tangible steps that you took? And then did you have like a goal that was driving you that you were going after? So the the first thing I did was I went and I exported our bank account to an Excel sheet. So I looked back three months and I've always been a dork when it comes to Excel. I like lists. I like seeing things on paper. So I pulled it all to Excel and then looked at where our money was going and saw how much we were spending on going out to eat and then how much we were spending on groceries. And I knew how much we were throwing away from our groceries. I mean, you'd buy all this fruit and you just sit on your counter until you throw it away or we were wasting money left and right. So I put it all aside and showed my wife, look how much we're wasting. And this is what we have going out just for our debt. That was the first time I ever looked at it. I didn't know how much debt we had. I didn't know how much we were paying in debt. I just knew we were paying it. And if we got rid of the debt, if we cleaned up our spending, we could save thousands of dollars a month. So that was kind of the first thought. And then I had to figure out, well, how do you how do you do that? You know, can you even pay more on your debt? How, what's that process look like? So then I started trying to dive into that. So did that include like geo arbitrage? Cause I know you mentioned like Pittsburgh and now you're in Ohio and you know, did you shed cars? How much did that reduce your spending? Cause I know you can obviously waste a lot of money on food, but I feel like you can't save so much money on food that you're now paying down debt in the tens of thousands of dollars. No, we didn't sell anything really. We just stopped all of that. I mean, we spent on everything. It wasn't just food. I mean, I had my leaks, you know, money leaks, or I'd go and I'd spend money at whether it was Cabela's or some sporting goods store, or buying things that I wanted. And my wife would do the same thing. And we never really talked about it with each other of how much we were spending. So once we talked about how much we were each spending and stopped that, it was a lot of money. And then I, you know, I got my first personal finance book, which I'm sure is the same one everybody gets, you know, about the debt snowball and Dave Ramsey and you know, I read through that and that was how I started putting money toward debt was, was those early steps. And how much debt are we talking about? And what did that payoff journey look like? It was 109,000 is what it came out to be between credit cards, vehicles, student loans. I bought this big tractor, which I need it now because we own a lot of property. Now uh, we have 52 acres, but back then I had two. And so I went out and spent like 
$24,000 on a tractor. It's, it's like, it's hard to even say that now. It sounds so goofy, but all of those things kind of all accumulated to 109000 And it took us uh, right about five years to pay that all off. And it was amazing between watching our money through budgeting. We were very fortunate. We both kept getting promoted within the organization that we worked with. And just being mindful, we were able to pay it off faster and faster. You know, the years three through five were exponentially faster than one and two, obviously. And then after that, the savings and the investing, it's like it, it compounds to a crazy amount. The magic of compounding, man. So before we kind of get into what we're probably going to talk to for a bulk of our interview today, and I don't, I just don't want to breeze over this. I kind of want to get your full backstory, Brent. So, you know, you want to be, or you, I guess you don't really want to be a physical ed teacher. You're just kind of following the brother's footsteps. You're like, eh, this isn't for me. You fall in love with taking care of people from your uncle, ultimately become an RN. At any point during that journey, or maybe younger in your years, did you start anything or have the entrepreneurial bug to start a business or do something different, you know, make money on your own without having an employer handing you a paycheck? I mean, the same stuff when you're little cutting grass for people, you know, I always did that cut long, did landscaping, um, my own thing for, for some folks around the town I grew up in. I always wanted to own my own business. I remember as a little kid, I always thought I was going to own an archery shop because I'm, I'm into archery. And that was my thing. Like I'm going to own an archery shop. And I obviously never did that. I mean, I, now I would not want to own an archery shop, but I always had the thought of wanting to be my own boss and it carried through throughout nursing as well. I, I enjoyed being a nurse when I was taking care of people. Working in the ICU was very fulfilling, but after I got out of that and got into corporate is when it was really driving me to get out of the nine to five corporate and be my own boss and trying to figure out how to do that. And is that something common in the in the nursing world where you kind of have this choice? Is it like that to go into corporate is where you can make more money or you can keep practicing, and but that's the trade-off. It's like the joy you get from the hands-on practicing versus the money. So most nurses, I don't think, end up in corporate. Um, I was an ICU nurse, and I remember the the nurses that would come in and do dialysis treatments on our patients who were in kidney failure. And I knew a little bit about dialysis because my mom um, works in that field as well. And so I thought, you know, that looks like a good job. They're doing their own thing. They're not working in like a clicky environment because nursing is very clicky. You know, I don't have to deal with other people's schedules. It looks like they're doing their own thing. So then I applied to work for a dialysis company and I got into taking care of uh, dialysis needs in the hospitals. It's called acute dialysis. And I did that for a while and I saw the education team that was there. And I always kind of uh, mentored other nurses or I helped teach or train new people as they came in, precepting it's called. So it kind of drew me to that education. So then I became an education coordinator, meaning I taught people new nurses about dialysis and our patient care technicians. And it would just kind of organically happened. I moved up to uh, manage educators. And then after managing educators, I moved up again to managing all of the inpatient education for a big chunk of the United States was the last role that I was in. So you sound like a pretty important guy. I'd like to actually dive into, you know, the day or the weeks coming up to that quit. Like, did you leave in a blaze of fury? What kind of fueled that? What gave you the confidence to just step away from all that? Because like you just outlaid, I mean, you were doing so much stuff. You were the manager, you were the trainer, like you were doing all of this all of these different roles within this organization, I can't imagine they were happy to happy to let you go, but you made that leap. I'd love to kind of hear the mindset of Brent and the days or weeks prior. 
So, uh, you know, the year that I left, uh, 2019, we started the, the little pizza business building it out then. We weren't doing live events yet, but we were getting the trailer built. We had the idea. I was practicing. I was already going out and meeting with owners of breweries and wineries and, and trying to get our name out there and secure some locations for the next year. My goal was to work my director of uh, education position and the food truck for a year. But so the organization I worked with, they really started cutting um, staff a lot in our department. There was a, a time when I was the the regional manager of the educators that I had to lay off 25% of my staff. And that was probably the first time that happened in 2017 or 2018. And that was the first time I really thought this is, this is going to happen to me. And I, I need to figure something out because I'm seeing who they're getting rid of. And I will probably be one of those soon. I, there was only a couple of us in the company that did what I did. And they could easily eliminate the role and drop that on somebody else. Would it be done as well? No, but corporate doesn't necessarily care about that. It's just as long as it's done. So I moved to the other position to kind of um, get away from that or make myself feel maybe a little bit secure. And it started happening again where they eliminated my peer that I worked with. She had been with the organization for like 40 years and they just gave me all of her work, all of her employees, everything just got dumped onto me. And some of these new employees I had were being paid more than me. And they had about, you know, one twenty-fifth of the coverage area and no direct reports. So this was in September of 2019. And I asked my manager, I just said, laid it out, you know, I'm, I'm doing A through Z and I, I wanted my salary to be looked at. And the response was in quotes, now's not the time to ask. So I was like, all right, I guess we're going to leave a little earlier than I expected. Talked it over with my wife. And I decided that I was going to resign. I just didn't know when. And and I've said this to other people before. It's probably not the best thing I ever did, but I was waiting for the right time to leave so that it hurt worse for them. And again, that's kind of catty, but I've been there for 12 years and I've I had to deal with a lot of crap that they gave me. So I waited for my opportunity. And when it when it happened and I knew that they didn't have a plan to replace me, nor were they going to be allowed, I gave them five weeks notice. At the time, I actually was live tweeting it whenever that was coming. So that was kind of funny. But yeah, I live tweeted the day of when I resigned and they still to this day haven't replaced my position. It's still just distributed amongst many different people. Um, I think there's three people doing what I used to do. <laughs> I, I hate that I missed the live tweeting part. That's great. Uh, I would I would have loved to have been there for that. But you just alluded to the pizza business, which I know we'll be speaking a lot about today. But before we just jump into like, okay, of course, you're doing this pizza business on the side while you're doing this job. Like, A, like how did you decide that you wanted to do a food business at all, period? And then how did you decide on pizza? Like, give us like how this all started snowballing. I know that a, with a lot of things, like it's never you just wake up one day and decide. It's kind of small things that add up to a decision. Yeah, I mean... Pizza, I figured I like to make pizza and I was already making it at my house. I built a wood fire oven in my driveway. So we were making it at home. And the idea to do it for a, you know, a business kind of just happened organically, I guess. Everybody likes pizza. You know, that was one thought. It's not like a market you're going to get into that's so specific that you, you have to look to see, you know, can it fit in this area? Everybody likes pizza. Um, I felt like we were doing, making really good stuff at that time. And to get started in this business wasn't super expensive. You know, our first initial all in for the business was around $40,000. That's everything. And to start a business for $40,000 is not that expensive. 
I know 40 grand is a lot of money. People are listening. Maybe I'm not saying that's not a lot of money, but to start a pizza shop, you know, you're looking at two or $300,000 minimum. So it was a good way to get our brand out there. But yeah, I mean, it was never a plan to start a pizza food truck. It just, we were cooking them and then we just kind of started talking about it. People liked what we were making. And I found a few mentors through Instagram and they had pizza food trucks. So then the, the idea kind of sparked in me, uh, went and met up with them, saw their setups and I'm like, yeah, I could do this. And, um, that was probably the moment when we decided we're going to, we're going to give this a shot. So when you're jumping off, I mean, financially, you don't have to share exact numbers, but like $40,000 could be a lot to some people. Like, was that all of your net worth, a quarter, a fraction, so negligible that you didn't even notice? Like, were you saving up at that point? I know you had crushed your debt in five years. Had you saved up a solid emergency fund or I guess an opportunity fund in this case to feel more comfortable taking that leap, making that investment into that business? Yeah, we had saved up about $100,000. That's outside of our 401ks. We had saved that and we're investing it in a you know Vanguard account. And I funded that, we, I shouldn't say I, we funded that first business with pure cash, the whole thing. So we had no debt when we started the business. So, you know, it took us down to about 60 at the time, about 70,000 in cash is what we had backed up. But I think the thing that made this not feel quite as crazy as it may sound to people is that I'm still a registered nurse. So I have my nursing license. If my business tomorrow just all of a sudden went to zero and I was I was not selling anything anymore, I could go get a nursing job this week. Um, it may not be doing anything that I want to do, you know, I'd be getting back up at three, four o'clock in the morning again. But it's not like I'm not going to be able to produce money. So that is a, a huge safety net that I feel like we have. And when you're talking about the 40000 all in for that first iteration of your business, can you help us break down a little bit where those costs are going? I know you mentioned building a trailer, but just like where, what are the other costs that maybe we're not thinking about? Yeah, so we had the first trailer built and we spent about twenty five, twenty six thousand dollars $26,000 on the original trailer. After you buy that trailer, you know, you have to buy refrigeration systems. So it's called a prep table and that goes on the trailer. Um, so there's a prep table. We needed the mixer, all of the tools, little things that you need, like pizza peels, metal peels, brushes, products, and then needed a mixer, stainless steel work tables. I mean, there's a lot of little things that go into that. And then you have your costs to start a business. You know, you have to get your uh, secretary of state. You have to get your transient vendors license all these little nickel and diming things that, that pile up to get started as well. So um, lots and lots of little equipment. So a few times so far, you've mentioned your wife. Did she also quit being an RN and help you with the pizza business? Or how does she fit into the puzzle here? So she's, um, she's a big, I, I tell her all the time, she's a big wig. So she is now in charge of a big education department for a, another organization. So she works from home now, uh, Monday through Friday. And she helps with the events. You know, she's uh, she either runs our register at the event or she stretches the dough, depending on who we have working with us and staff. But she still works from home Monday through Friday. And then if she can help after those those days in the evening, she does or on the weekends. And then just kind of diving into the the nuts and bolts of the pizza business itself. Like when you're starting to put together that first menu or maybe even when you're putting together your menu now, I'm assuming you're wanting to keep this uh, relatively tight, like a, a fairly small menu uh, with something like a food truck. You don't want to be making 50 different kinds of pizzas. Like, how are you choosing what those are? How are you doing product testing? You know, because everyone has different tastes. Like, how, how did you get other people's input so that you knew 
when you start to sell to the, an audience versus just like your friends and family that it's going to really hit? So, I mean, just general testing when we, my neighbors ate a lot of pizza when I was first starting and practicing. I mean, we were just giving it away. Uh, come and try this, giving it to my brother and his kids and kind of getting their input. And we really kept our first menus very, very simple. I mean, I think I was doing three pizzas per event. We'd always do a, a pepperoni pizza. At the time, I was doing a pretty standard margarita and then some other specialty pizza or something I would do once a month. I would keep a specialty for the whole month. So I'd say for the first three, four months, it was only three pizzas, maybe four. We just saw what people liked. I'm still to this day getting an idea of what people like. Uh, it took me a year, actually 14 months before I came up with a standard menu that we just launched two weeks ago, just based off of going through Square and seeing what we sell the most of, talking to customers. But yeah, it's it's a constantly evolving thing. Something I'm curious about, and we have had this conundrum with every single entrepreneur, every single business owner we've had on the show. How do you go about pricing? And I bet, Brent, without even hearing you answer this, that you probably underpriced it first and then had to force yourself to go up in pricing. Is that correct? And I'd like to hear kind of how that all worked out because every single person we've talked to at first undervalues the product or service that they're delivering and then ends up marking it up as they get more confidence down the road. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think I thought of it that way, but we I had an idea of where my price margin should be once I felt comfortable, just based off of some friends that I'd made that were doing the same thing in similar markets. I started on the low end of the spectrum because we were new. And I thought I knew what I was doing, but after the first event, it became very clear that I really didn't know what I was doing. So um, I, I wanted that little bit of a buffer of, okay, it's at least it's inexpensive if he screws it up. And, um, you know, if you screw up a $15 pizza, people are a little more upset than if you screw up a $10 pizza. So we left it on a little bit of the lower end of the spectrum. Then COVID happened, which, you know, we launched in January, COVID happened in March. So we had, you know, three months, two and a half months of a new business before we had to uh, any chance to grow. So I did move it up a little bit, but during COVID, I, I didn't feel super comfortable raising my prices just because of what people were going through. I still wanted to be available for people to come and get food. Uh, we were getting a lot of support from the community and the thought of pricing them out just seemed pretty short-sighted at the time. So I, I didn't really start adjusting my prices until the late end of 2020. And, and then the last time was here end of January. And I'm curious for us to start talking about like the growth of this business because you're talking about that first event, all the things you've learned. 
like how many pizzas were you making at the first event versus now? And like, I know there's a second iteration of the, of the pizza food truck uh, that I'm assuming was driven by the fact that demand started growing. So if you could just walk us through the growth of this thing. Yeah. So that was probably, I'd say mistake number one for me is I really got some hype around our first event. I shouldn't have done that. Um, we sold, I forget how many pizzas we probably sold 75 or 80 pizzas in that first night. And I shouldn't have, I mean, it was everything that could have gone wrong, went wrong. I mean, it was a mess. Uh, we got through it and it's still fun. We have a few customers, you know, still that were there on day one, that still come and get our food. And I just feel like I need to hug them every time I see them just for what I put them through. But yeah, so we did about 75 in our first event, which was a lot. It dropped off pretty quickly after that, just because, you know, it wasn't a new thing anymore. There were early events that just my wife and I would go and do where we'd sell like 20 pizzas. And I, you know, I remember leaving thinking, wow, we made, you know, $230. This was great. We did good. That obviously it's not the case anymore. We do events now where uh, we'll do 120, 150 will be a busy, busy event last year. I have events this summer that I know we'll probably do about 204 hours. So yeah, it did ramp up pretty quick. But initially, no, we look back at Square and we're like, oh my goodness, 236 bucks. At least, I mean, I'm glad I was naive enough to think that was where I should be. So when you're kind of talking about these events, it almost sounds like, you know, Farm Fired Pizza is hosting an event in Street Park down the road. Like, are you hosting these events solo? Like you are the main attraction or are you kind of like the food at a concert or, you know, the food at some amusement park? It's a mixture of both. So we do a lot with uh, partner with breweries and wineries and we go set up at their locations. I do do some events like this Sunday. I just go set up at this high school in their parking lot. It's close to a main drag by a stoplight and we kill it there. I mean, it'll be three hours on a Sunday and we'll probably do a hundred plus pizzas. You know, sometimes we go to housing developments and we just set up in a housing development and all the people that live there will come out and get food and just go back home. So I tried everything last year. For the most part, they were all pretty good. Uh, I did one Little League baseball tournament that I remember was a disaster. I think that was the first, the only event I ever lost money on where I went and paid people to eat my food pretty much. So for the most part, getting started at breweries and wineries was the way to go. You know, people coming to you is the best way to sell food, I think. And when you're going in there trying to make these partnerships, were these people that like you knew the business owners personally or like what did you have to offer? Like how did that negotiation go down? So I went out October-ish of 2019 before we were even a, a food truck. I went out and I had, we had jackets made with our logo. I went and had some business cards made. So I wanted people to think I knew what I was doing. And I went and just met with all these brewery owners. I'm like, yeah, hey, we're going to be launching here soon. We'd love to come and cook here. And for the most part, all of them ignored me except for one. And so we got started at this place called Homestead Beer Company uh, outside of Heath, Ohio. They are the only ones that really took a chance on us back then. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of, it was much more difficult to get in than I thought because I didn't realize that food trucks have a, a bad reputation for the most part of being flaky. So they just saw another new one as I had no way of proving that I was going to show up every day. So, you know, I had my little outside trailer under a canopy with a headlamp on when it got dark and I cooked the whole way through the winter and I'd never missed an event that first year. So then other breweries started reaching out to us and wineries. And by the end of the summer, we had got to know a lot of different owners. So when you're trying to compete for, you know, so-and-so's brewery on Saturday night against Tommy's Tacos, is it like 
you want to offer them more of a cut? Are you like, what is the offer to them? Why they choose you over some other food truck that might want the space? You know, honestly, I don't know why they pick us. I mean, I think I know. I think our food's good and we, we draw a crowd in. We do not pay the breweries any money at all for cooking on their location. Uh, we give them pizza. They give us beer. So we have, I've never paid a dime to a brewery or a winery. We just give them free food and they give us alcohol. And, you know, that's, that's our trade-off. But I think we draw a crowd now. You know, a few weeks ago, we did an event and the parking lot was so full. People were having to park up the street at a VFW and they're walking down the street. And the owner came out. And just, you know, made a joking comment that they can't have us there anymore because they don't have enough parking. So, you know, I mean, that's good. And I think that's helped us book a lot of events. And then what about like if somebody's thinking about doing this business themselves, regardless of what kind of food business it is, the permits, regulations, I'm sure it's a little different state to state, but is it a lot easier for a food truck? Like, how do you continue to maintain like, hey, this is a, you know, a clean thing? Because I mean, I don't know, to me, it just feels different because it's like, it's always moving. It's always on, you know, it's, it's always on the go. Yeah, it's different just because a lot of cities don't know how to treat food trucks. They don't know what to do with them. So depending on your health department, they're either going to make your life easier, make it really difficult because they don't want to deal with you. I have a lot of experience working with health departments just from my nursing background. In my previous role, I worked with them a lot. So I had a mindset of what I need to do to make sure that we're on the same page. You know, if you're going to start a food truck, the number one thing you should do before you even think of cooking any food is call your health department, find out who's in charge of food trucks and ask them what needs to be put on a food truck before you build it. They will, from that point on, think that you know what you're doing. They will appreciate the fact you reached out to them before you built something and then just dropped it off to them to inspect it and just hope that it was right. Um, You want to be very close to your health department and make sure that they know who you are and what you're doing is correct. You know, the permits, every area is different. You know, I need, uh, you're going to need a secretary of state or your LLC or whatever you're going to start your business as. And then something called a transient vendor's license. A lot of areas require, I know Ohio does. And that's just saying that you're going to be a vendor, but you're going to move. And then, you know, with your sales tax, you have to set up an account with your state business site. It's called the Ohio Business Gateway for us. And you have to go in and do any sales tax there every month. But, um, If you're going to go to different cities, you know, Columbus, Ohio requires a special license to go and just park on the street and cook there. But if you're going to go and cook at breweries and wineries, you're on private property and you really don't need as much. So it depends on what you're going to do. I mean, the best thing you can do again is just call your health department and ask them, what do I need? They may not know and that's okay, but at least you've reached out to them first before they reached out to you asking what you're doing. And in your example, How much did it cost to get the permits you needed and what was the lead time? So you can do them all pretty much instantly online. The transient license, I can't remember how much it was. It was like a hundred and some dollars, I think. To file my LLC was another 130, I think, through the state. My health department certification, like the one that requires the actual physical inspection is $167. And that one takes the longest time. So I started to talk to them about getting it in September. And they told me to wait till after December 1st, because then it would be good until March of uh, 2021. So I did it December of 2019. The license was good till March of 2021. And then every year after that, I have to pay $167 and have them inspect my, my food truck before March 1st. And then I get a license again for the following year. 
Something you talked about, and I really don't want to glaze over it because I think this is such an important lesson in small business entrepreneurship. And so you are driving like an incredible amount of sales to these breweries, these wineries. I'd love to hear some of those strategies. Like, is it social media? Are you pushing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Because I think you're kind of doing the, maybe if you know it or not, you're giving before you're getting. And I think that's just so important for partnerships and growth. And a lot of people just want to get, 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 you know, they want to get as many sales as they can. But, you know, if you're giving the brewery an extra thousand or multiple thousands in sales that night, that's a huge win for them. So I'd love to hear like either the ideology and or the tactics behind that. For us, social media, I have, I've probably paid less than $50 the entire time we've had this business for advertising. It's all just been through Facebook, Instagram. I have a Twitter account for the business page, but honestly, I forget that I use it. Um, so I don't really use the Twitter account much. I use my personal Twitter account more than I use that. But yeah, Facebook, Instagram, I do a lot of posts. Whenever I was first starting, I was trying to post three, four times a day with just pictures of our food, uh, where we're going to be. And then there's a, a foodie Facebook group around us. And the guy who's in charge of that came and did a live video with us the sixth week, I think we were operating. And it's exposed to about, at the time, it was about 20,000 people. So that gave us a little bit of a boost. And then I would post on that foodie Facebook group because it was local. But yeah, I think you have, you have to take, I think, high quality photos, at least the highest quality you can take. Um, we're too busy now. I can't bring a DSLR into the food truck or anything like that. So I try to take nice photos with my phone. And, and luckily, the new phones are pretty amazing when it comes to that. So I take a photo, I edit the lighting and, and things like that to make sure that it's a clean photo. And um, that's probably the most important thing. If you're going to sell food, people eat with their eyes before they even see you. And if they think your food looks terrible, they're never going to come and see you, even if it's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I think that Instagram has just changed the food industry so much. I mean, you can see, especially when I, like my girlfriend, Leslie, when she's living in New York, you saw it a ton where there'd be these restaurants that they get this one item that's Instagrammable. And all of a sudden now there's a line out the door, some place you've never heard of. They're just doing something quirky. So that, that's a great point. So one of the things I wanted to ask about, though, is, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Like you're, you're thinking back on things. The way you started with a smaller food truck, went to the larger one, the way you paid for it all in cash, like those things, you've told us what your story is. Is there anything you would do different, like knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think initially, if I could go back and do it all 100% over again, I mean, I probably would do the same thing because I am, I'm me. You know, I, I doubt I would do anything different. However, if I could control me back then, I would have gone for sure and worked at a wood fire pizza place for six months or something like that, or even three months just to get a feel for what I was getting into because making one or two or five pizzas at home, you can do that really, really well, but to scale it and keep the quality is extremely difficult. So I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to keep up with the pace and that would have taught me at least how to be better at cooking the pizzas. Financially, I don't know that I would have done anything different financially. We saved up a good chunk of cash and I felt like taking 40,000 of that away wasn't a huge risk because it it's not like I was spending it on just a, a new car or something like that. I felt like it was a, an actual investment that was going to help us. I wanted to get the food truck we have now. So, you know, we started with this 15 foot trailer that had a wood fire oven on the back and it was all open and we were under a canopy and we were out there with folding tables with coverings on the tables. I would have liked to have started with an enclosed trailer like we have now. And knowing what I know now, I probably would have just done it because I wouldn't have had to spend all the money on all the other stuff before I upgraded because we upgraded in it less than a year. 
So I, I think part of that was just my own, just being nervous and, you know, spending 40,000 all in is one thing, but spending 50,000 on just the trailer and the oven, not having the other equipment is a lot different. So I wasn't ready for that. I'm kind of curious if you could just walk us through your week. So we were just for some context for listeners, we were supposed to record on Wednesday, but Wednesday is your big pizza prep day. And I can imagine a lot of effort goes into making hundreds of pizza, but I'm guessing that the hundreds of pizza are mostly delivered or at least cooked on the weekend days when the event that you're going to is going on. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but could you kind of walk us through what typical week looks like in the in the life of a food truck CEO? Yeah, I mean, it varies a lot. So this week we have events Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So depending on, I, I make all my own dough. Uh, I like to make dough that ferments either for 48 or 72 hours, but I've been adjusting my dough recipe pretty much nonstop since we launched. So I'm currently fermenting it for 48 hours, just because if we're not as busy on a Thursday, I can roll over the extra dough to Friday because it still has time left to proof. It's not going to be blown out and dead. So I've taken some time off of that. So on a Tuesday, which is today, right? Today is Tuesday. Yes. I was sorry. Sorry. I, uh, I made a bunch of dough this morning. So, you know, usually I start my day with get up, and then start making dough, get the dough proofing, get it in the bins, get it all weighed out. It'll proof for a few hours, again, depending on what the weather's like, uh, how hot it's going to be, the humidity, things like that. I'll adjust my fermentation and how long I let it go in bulk before I ball it. So put that aside. And if I have any dough trays that need to be rinsed or anything like that, I'll do some, some dough tray work. I will make some sauces uh, that, can, that I can make this early, like a red sauce can be made this early. Depending on what veggies I'm going to be offering that week, if I can chop some veggies up today, I'll work on that. But typically, I do that on Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday is another day that I run in because, again, we live in the middle of nowhere. So it takes us 25 minutes to get to town. You know, it sounds like the Oregon Trail, but it is. So we'll run into into town and um, I'll get any fresh produce that I need for the week. And uh, that's what I was doing when Justin texted me. He's like, oh, no, OK, I totally forgot what you're doing to say. It's my fault. So I was getting my my product. Um, there's a lot of online social media work. And then I also do pre-orders on certain days of the week that are going to be a little bit slower. I try to accumulate some orders before the event even starts so I can guarantee myself so many sales. So um, I had pre-orders today. So I was getting the links all sent out, pulling those over to Square to start my invoices for that. Um, there's always Photoshop work that I'm doing to make flyers or make menus. So I try to incorporate some of that. That's Tuesday get that into Tuesday. And then Wednesday is probably my biggest prep day where I will actually start a fire in my oven a day early a lot of times because I'm going to cook off some some of my um, proteins. You know, I'll do bacon or I'll do my sausages and stuff and I can get those cooked and bagged to get me ready for Thursday. And then washing my food truck, uh, doing anything with my holding tanks, filling my water tanks. I do a lot of that on Wednesday. In addition to, I have to make dough again on Wednesday for my Friday event. So yeah, I mean, it's there's never a standard to do every day. It's just a list of things that I know are coming up. And then, you know, Thursday, that would be an event day. I'm still making dough. So I'll get up earlier to make dough on Thursday so I can get it mixed and balled and into cold storage. And then I do another fire and I'll cook proteins. If I didn't have time to make them on Wednesday, I'll cook proteins. If there's any delicate vegetables, I'll cut those like mushrooms or something. I try to do those the day of because they're they don't keep as long. And um, then it's packing the food truck with my cheese and many of my other proteins, boxes, getting all that together, firewood, and getting that all packed as well. 
it's hard for me to think of every single little thing that I do. I guess there's just so many little things that add up in a day. Oh yeah. That was interesting though. Thank you for sharing all that. And I know from personal experience, because for those who don't know, for the listeners out there, I've been hitting up Brent with a lot of questions around making my own pizza. He's been super helpful. He's been giving me all the tips and tricks. And I would have never realized how scientific it is when you start talking about the crust and all the, you know, you you got your little milligram scale. So you look a drug dealer in the kitchen and you're trying to get the yeast just right. And you're letting things, you know, you're playing around with the proofing and the hydration and all that. So I could I could imagine that you're a little particular about your your dough. And I know from listening to some of your other podcasts that you have employees, but you're not letting yourself hire out for each of those positions. Like maybe somebody who's running pizzas in the oven, like you're maybe not quite as comfortable there. Is this dough and some of this prep work fall into that same area? Or I mean, it just feels like you're now at a point at a scale where you could start hiring out some of these really manual tasks and just focus on the the day of the event, managing that, managing some of the promotional stuff, but the making the dough, the slicing the stuff, the cleaning the truck, are, are you looking to outsource some of that? You know, some of the things, yeah, that aren't quite as require the skill, you know, cooking in the oven. I have one of my employees who can do it. Um, he's pretty good. He's 18. He's shown a ton of interest in the business. So I've started to teach him a little bit of everything, but there's still, that's the last time that a pizza has a chance to be good. So if it goes into the oven, you know, the oven's 800 degrees, depending on how busy we are. So the time between being appropriately cooked and being just charcoal is 30 seconds. You know, if you don't turn it at exactly the right time, you'll burn one half of the pizza, which is the whole pizza. At that point, you can't sell somebody half a burnt pizza. So I don't see myself ever giving that up per se, unless I switch oven styles or open a shop, you know, something that's more set it and forget it because a wood fire oven, every it's constantly fluctuating. You know, the size of your flame, the floor cools, the busier you are. So you have to move the pizzas on different spots of the floor to make sure the bottom gets baked appropriately. If you throw it on a cold spot and your flame's too high, you're going to fry the top and your bottom's going to be soggy. So you're constantly moving stuff around. But I've thought about, I have outsourced things like splitting firewood. I'll pay my nephew sometimes to come and split a bunch of my firewood. You know, he's 15 years old and he'll split it and stack it. Washing the truck and stuff like that. I probably should outsource that. The same with some of my prep work. It's just, you know, we're still 14 months in and I still have that startup mentality where every day, every dollar matters. And the goal now for us is to get my wife out of, you know, away from her position so she can work with the food truck full time. And I still feel like every dollar counts. So I'm sure I'm burning the candle at both ends, but you know, I I can't give up that goal just yet. Most serious question of the podcast. How much weight have you gained since you started this business? (laughs) I actually, I lost 40 pounds. (laughs) What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it backwards, right? I started a food truck, a pizza food truck, and I lost a ton of weight. Yeah, I um, working. I had a desk job for for years, and I never really realized how much weight I gained. And then COVID happened, and the shutdown happened, and I just remember thinking, I got to lose some weight, man. We're eating a ton of pizza. Two years of trying to learn how to make pizza, you know, put a lot of weight on the waistline. So, yeah, last year I lost forty pounds, which is it's kind of silly. I still eat pizza constantly. I mean, we eat pizza like three or four days a week. It's just, uh, I balance it out with not eating as much of other things. Congrats, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did it backwards. I know I get a lot of flack for that, but it's all right. And I kind of like this transition into some of the more fun questions. I know there's a lot of times debates amongst the pizza world. Is there something you won't put on a pizza? No, I don't think so. You know, it's like, 
if somebody wants to give me money to make them a food that they like, who am I to be to say no? That doesn't go in my oven. You know, I know people that do that. I know pizza shops and food trucks that have very strict rules about their menu. And I set my menu up the way I think is good. And if somebody makes a bunch of changes to it, okay, you know, if it comes out bad, that's on you. You know, I'll cook it right. But if it comes out and tastes funky, you put this all together. So no, I mean, I do pineapple on pizza and I love to post that and get everybody upset. But yeah, I don't think there's anything other, unless it smells bad. I wouldn't want anchovies in my food truck because it's a small space. Last question from me, Brent. I know from listening to your Bigger Pockets Money podcast episode that you will let people create a pizza of their own, but they generally have to come with their own name, right? And so I was thinking, and I'm just curious if we could have one called the Phi Pie. And I kind of took executive ownership of this pizza building experiment. And I wanted to go with your ricotta garlic base, some okay. sausage, some bacon, some roasted tomatoes, and then a ranch drizzle. So that's the Phi Pie. And uh, I can't wait to come up to Ohio and get one. All right. I just wrote it down on my notepad here. I did my 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 slang for what it's going to be. You can't see it. But uh, yes, we'll put that on the menu. That is a requirement. People will say, you know, why don't you make this pizza? I'll make it for you now if I have the toppings. But if you want it on the menu, you got to tell me what you want on it and you have to name it. People really back off at that point. Not all of them come back and give me a name. Well, hey, maybe with this name, you'll get a lot of questions like, what is Phi? And then you can mm-hmm. then you can just introduce this to everyone and you can there hand you them uh, our business card at that point. You'll have to send me <laughs> a uh, like a QR code and I'll, I'll slap it. Yeah. Beside, whenever I put the menu out, I'll put it beside the menu so people can scan it and then they'll they take you right to their website. There you go. Love it, man. Networking 101. Well, <laughs> Brent, this has been a ton of fun. I am looking forward to getting my pizza in the mail in Massachusetts. Justin, I'm sure yours is going to be great in Texas by the time it gets there. And for people who want to connect with you, your businesses, everything you're doing, Brent, where are some of the best places for them to do that? So if they want to follow the business, uh, Facebook, Instagram, they can just search farm fired pizzas uh, and they can find us there on Twitter. Uh, my handle is the food truck CEO. I don't do as much specific business stuff. I'm always, I share pictures of pizza every day and then just other random nonsense that goes through my mind. But yeah, those are the, probably the three best places. Well, Brent, thanks so much for coming on the show. I mean, I know me and you've been in communication a lot the past couple of months because I'm obsessed with this idea of pizza now. So who knows, maybe I'll be on an episode one day and I can explain the story of how Brent inspired me to start a food truck. And uh, I'm hoping you're inspiring a lot of people out there. I'm pretty sure you are, but thanks for coming on. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And again, I apologize for being late, but this was uh, this was great. Thank you guys very much. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.